like you to turn to your Bibles this afternoon or morning, I guess it is, to Jeremiah chapter number one, and uh, thankful for the opportunity. Uh, this microphone's going to drive me nuts. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I preached Wednesday night, and it was right here in my forehead, and I was cross-eyed the whole time. I don't move around when I preach. I, I do when I teach for some reason, but not when I preach, and, and I was just looking at this thing. And for a while, I thought to myself, wow, this is how Dwight feels at every pulpit that he preaches. And I, I'm teasing, but I will say this. Um, you'll have to understand, many of us have known each other. And I was uh, in high school when some of these guys were here. And, and uh, some others, I was, would have been early in college. But uh, we've known each other for many years. And, and we've been kind of savage to each other uh, for these last several days. Uh, one guy had his notes, uh, his tablet hidden uh, last night before he preached. Uh, Finley was actually the preacher, and, and he said, you know, I, re I remember Dan when he was the size of this microphone right here. And I thought to myself, my goodness, what are you saying, brother? I'm fat or what? And uh, so uh, it has been a long time, but it, it has been uh, really a joy and uh, has been uh, a very wonderful time of refreshment. And so, Shannon, thank you for uh, hosting this, for putting up with us. And I know these ladies have been slaving away in the kitchen, but I'm telling you what, we have eaten some fine food. And uh, so they are probably not able to hear this, but I will say thank you uh, to them. They have done a phenomenal job, fed quite a few last night before the meeting, and uh, have just done uh, an excellent job with that. Anybody who has uh, ever coached or played sports understands the importance of having the right mindset. A team that approaches the game with a mindset of defeat, they're most likely going to experience defeat. On the other hand, the team that approaches it with confidence will at least reflect that mindset and how they play, regardless of how the score turns out in the end. I want to speak to you this morning on the mindset of ministry. I want to do so out of Jeremiah chapter number one. As believers, we have been given an amazing privilege to serve the Lord. And I know many of you are pastors. Some of you are not. All of us have a ministry. God has called all of us to serve him. Have you thought about the incredible reality that the ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us? You have the privilege to be able to proclaim a message of hope to an individual that tells him he can be restored to a right relationship with God. That's the privilege that all believers have. For others, there is an even greater privilege because we have been called by God into the ministry on a different level. The demands are often indescribable. The pressures, the burdens that pastors will experience are experienced on a level that very few understand. But if we're not careful, our ministry can become nothing more than a burden that is performed out of obligation. I don't know where all you minister and how easy you have it or don't have it. My guess is you don't. Um, 
I will just say I understand probably much of, of where perhaps many of you are. I've been bivocational for many years, and the demands of that can be very challenging. It's easy to start performing these things out of obligation. I think we would probably all acknowledge the fact that Paul faced more persecution and pressure than we have ever experienced in our lifetime. In spite of what he experienced, though, he was writing to a young man named Timothy, and this is what he said. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He looked at everything that he had gone through, and he says, Timothy, I, I just want to tell you, I thank God that he called me into the ministry. Preacher, let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you began your day not focused on everything you have to accomplish, but first thanking God for calling you into the ministry? It's easy to develop a wrong mindset when it comes to ministry. In fact, I would dare say that maintaining the right mindset in ministry is a battle that we all constantly face. And so this morning, my prayer is that God will encourage us to remain faithful to what it is that God has called us to do. I had the privilege of preaching Wednesday night, and I had a premise behind that message that I'm going to slightly twist this morning. The premise behind Wednesday night's message was that the Christian life must not stem from obligation, but must flow from appreciation. We went into Romans chapter 3, where we are justified freely by His grace. Now, let me just change that just a little bit this morning and say this. The ministry must never stem from obligation, but it must flow from appreciation. Look at what God has done for you, and that will keep the right focus on the ministry. The one who has been divinely called by God must then determine to serve God wholeheartedly. He must do so out of appreciation, all the while maintaining an awareness that this is the task to which God has called me. Jeremiah serves as an example of one who was called by God to minister to Judah at a very difficult time. I have in my own personal study, just been focusing a lot on Jeremiah. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I wouldn't sign up for his job. No way. Nor any of the other prophets. We can fault Jonah for running. It seems to me like he's the one that had some sense. Okay? And I understand the carnality of that statement. Judge me if you want. But I'm telling you what, that's not a bad idea. You look at what these men went through and it was something. Here was a man called by God to minister to Judah at what we might say is difficult time, but that's an understatement for the nation of Israel. God's not going to destroy Jerusalem. <laughs> We're fine here. We've got the temple. We're God's chosen people. Hey, you got some guy standing up telling us we're wrong, telling us that judgment's going to come here in Jerusalem, that your walls are going to be destroyed, that your temple is going to be completely destroyed. You're crazy. 
There's in, in one chapter, and we're not going to look at it this morning, but in one chapter, he's actually told to take a message to the gates leading into the temple. And he gets out there, and you know what his message to these religious people entering the temple to perform their obligation, amend your ways. Now you think about it, if, if you had a preacher standing outside your front door to your church telling the people entering your church to amend their ways, you'd throw him out. I would. These are people doing the right thing. They're coming to church. Well, they're going to the temple. Jeremiah's message was not popular. I want to examine five principles this morning that will help us develop a proper mindset of ministry. And you'll have to forgive me. I am a pastor. My, my outline, Brother Beal, you're welcome to use this in your class and say, do not do this, okay? Um, Dwight, Paul, you guys can take this and perfect it and turn it into nice short phrases. I don't have that. Tom, I know you've got the ability to do this. Mine's longer but it's also going to, I think, communicate. And I looked back at this and I thought, all right, I need to change these points. And I went and prayed through this multiple times. It's like, no, it's not happening. It's not changing. Number one, I want you to understand this. God determines the location, the culture, and the time in which we minister. God determines the location, the culture, and the time in which we minister. I've had you turn to Jeremiah chapter number 1. Notice verse number 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, a godly king, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, even unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Notice, under the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. God determines the location, the culture, and the time in which we minister. I want you to understand that this challenges my perspective. We know from the Word of God that comparisons are unwise. Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 that those who are comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Let's rephrase that a little differently and just say that those who are comparing themselves among themselves are foolish. This is not wise. Now, nobody in here would ever have compared their ministry to another ministry. Right? The size of the ministries. Well, I just got a small church. They've got a big church. They don't have any problems. We'll say these are the perceived circumstances of others. They're very inaccurate, typically due to limited knowledge. You see, now, those of you pastor in Colorado, what you need to understand is that at Platte Valley, the pastor there has no problems. He's got a large church, new building. He's just everything. He's not got a problem in the world. 
Have you ever thought about maybe you've got a church of 50 or 60 people? So you say, well, I mean, I wish I had a church of 200. That means you have 400 problems. But we have this idea that if it's better, it has to be bigger. Brother Beal talked about this earlier. And sometimes, to be quite honest with you, our perceptions of other ministries are inaccurate because those in leading those ministries have not exactly made all that honest of a claim. <laughs> oh, God's really blessing. You know, that's a really easy statement to make, but is it a factual statement? We get into fellowships and we have this pressure that says, well, well, I have to conform to and I've got to say the right things and I've got to tell them how many people have been saved and how many, I, I, well, I, I've got this many people in my church. I, I just had two visitors. You know, that way, you know, everyone else has to think that, you know, we're still doing our job out there. Meanwhile, it's like, you had two visitors and they were mad and left halfway through the service, but they don't need to know that. I found that comparisons reflect an attitude of discontentment. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned there's a learning process here. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I've also found in my own life that comparisons are the field in which bitterness is sown and cultivated. You want to become a bitter preacher, you start comparing your ministry to someone else, and you'll become a very bitter person. Comparisons are the field in which bitterness is sown and cultivated. We just let it fester, and things get worse. Before long, so-and-so is perfect, and my ministry is terrible. The grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. One of my professors who I knew from a child, uh, taught our Baptist history stuff at Ambassador, and, and uh, he used to come and do revival services for my dad. I'd get kicked out of my bedroom uh, whenever he came. And uh, he was one evangelist who would leave all of his change on the dresser when he left. And I always thought I was rich. Um, I don't think I was as rich as I actually was. But anyway, uh, he was from West Virginia, and he would describe his uh, place that it was where they piped the sunshine in and the moonshine out. <laughs> One of the things that he would say is that uh, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. It might be the septic system. Somewhat of a crude illustration, perhaps, but it sure does hit the point well. It's not always greener on the other side of the fence. Now, we have a tendency, though, to perceive that the hindrances and the obstacles are detrimental to my ministry. Do we not? So, I mean, look, if, if we had more money, it would be better. If we had greater numbers, it would be better. If we had fewer heartaches, it would be better. <laughs> I'm speaking to pastors. I think I can say this. I know I've thought it. If I had the absence of certain people, it would be better. Right? You guys are looking at me like, no, brother, I have no idea what you're talking about. No pastor in here has ever thought, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you on the way out. There are those people. God blessed them. But it's like, Lord, if I didn't have this headache... 
it sure would be a lot easier. Paul said, I've got a thorn in the flesh, Lord, and I'd like for that to be removed. He even prayed three times that it would be removed. And God said, not just no, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. So that hindrance for Paul actually became a means whereby he would have and develop a greater reliance upon God. We might say that because of that thorn in the flesh, his relationship with God became deeper. I know we have these struggles, and I know we think, well, Lord, if it were only, if, it, if this would be fixed, if this would be resolved, hindrances and obstacles are of no benefit if they don't drive us closer to God. But when you come to see God because of something that He has brought into your life, when you come to experience His grace on a different level, those are things for which to be thankful. Jeremiah ministered in an extremely difficult culture. We do as well. In case you haven't figured it out, our culture is not a godly culture. I know we've said it's the worst the world has ever seen. That, that probably can't be stated by fact. Probably the worst that our country has seen right now. I think that's probably able to be sustained, but throughout all history, I'm not sure we could say that. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to minister in a different time when people actually listen to your message? What would it be like for someone to be excited about coming to church? I sure wish I lived back in the days when great revivals were happening. God didn't put you there. If you have never understood Shannon's perspective on your governor, um, you've probably not listened much to him. Uh, corrupt, to say the least. Guess what? This is the culture to which God's called you to minister. Let's stop mourning what it was like before 2020. We're in 2022. It's time to put your big boy pants on and minister. It's time to stop worrying about, well, this is what it was like before COVID. I, you know, before 9-11, security was a lot easier in an airport. Guess what's not going to change? Guess how many preachers are going to be stranded here through the weekend because we all shot all sorts of things <laughs> and won't clear TSA. We'll see you guys on Sunday and Wednesday the next week as well because we're probably all still going to be out here. Things aren't going to change. And I'm not saying that from a negative standpoint. I don't mean it that way. But my point is, listen, it's not going to go back to how it was prior to these things. So let's stop worrying about that and say, okay, God, this is the time and this is the culture in which you've called me to minister. Number two, I want you to notice that God determines the role in which we minister. God not only determines the location and the culture and the time in which we minister, but he also determines the role in which we minister. Verse number four, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is now to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, 
I sanctify thee, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. God determines the role in which we minister. While the first point challenges my perspective, I want you to understand that this determines my calling. God says, Jeremiah, I've got a job for you. Now, I do want to be clear that the person who is called to preach is not more prominent than the lay person who faithfully serves. And if you as a pastor feel that you are above your people, shame on you. You're not. And if that's your mindset, then God's going to see fit to humble you. And he needs to. You're no better than the person who served because you've been called into full-time service, per se. It makes no difference. You're not more faithful, more spiritual than the lay person who faithfully serves. This calling is not a pedestal from which we look down upon each other. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 said, well, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We're just ministers by whom you believe. Apollos planted or I'm sorry, I planted, said Paul, Apollos water, but God gave the increase. And here was this conclusion. He said, you know what? We are laborers together with God. That's all we are. Faithfulness now demands that we be absolutely certain of your calling. Listen, if God called you to be a pastor, then be a pastor. If God didn't call you to be a pastor, then don't be one. Don't, and I don't know anybody in their right mind who would want to do that if they weren't called into it. Maybe I'm just some weird guy that fell off the back of a turnip truck, and that's probably true, but I still, how in the world, why in the world would you want that? But if God's called you to that, be faithful. There have been times in my ministry when I've been ready to quit, been ready to resign. Some carnal pastors go into their office on Monday morning and basically type out their resignation letter, right? You can have it. All you need is my cell phone and my keys. You can have them both. You know what I go back to? God, you called me. And sometimes that's the only thing you've got. You better be certain of your calling. Number three, God qualifies us for the role to which he calls us. God qualifies us for the role to which he calls us. He says in verse number six, Jeremiah didn't necessarily care for God's assessment of things. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. Sounds a lot like Moses. For I am a child. You ever felt you can't do it? Verse number seven. Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Drop down to verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. God qualifies us for the role to which he calls us. I want you to understand that this establishes my accountability. You know what I am accountable for? The ministry to which God called me. I don't answer for Shannon's ministry. I don't answer for Paul and Dwight's evangelistic ministry. I don't answer for their ministry. But I do answer for mine. 
God does not call us to something for which he's not already qualified us. Now, some of us, I dare say all of us, have at times felt inadequate. I don't know how you process that. I try to ignore it. I try to just swallow and pretend that feeling doesn't exist. It doesn't work real well. If you do the same thing, you'll probably understand what, exactly what I'm saying. But how you choose to respond to feelings of inadequacy is crucial. Because you can either be defeated by them or you can be empowered by them. Consider this. When inadequacy drives us inward, it would lead to despair. It might lead to, well, I just need more willpower. When inadequacy drives us inward, I believe defeat is inevitable. When inadequacy drives me inward, defeat's inevitable. Well, I just need to work harder. I just need to stay up longer. I just need to sleep less. I just need to organize my schedule. I just need more willpower. You're going to struggle. Defeat is inevitable. But when inadequacy drives us upward, empowerment is inevitable. God, I can't do this. But you can. It's a whole different mindset. It's not about me. It's not about me trying to, to control my circumstances. These feelings of inadequacy have to drive us to God. But they cannot ever allow us to detract from doing that to which God has called us to do. Jeremiah, this is what I've called you to do. I can't do it. I can't speak. I'm just a child. Don't do that. I'll, I'll take care of that. But Jeremiah, this is the standard to which I'm going to hold you now accountable. Luke chapter 12 tells us that unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. This is the standard by which you are going to be held accountable. Don't try to run someone else's race. Don't get involved in the comparisons of things. You take the people that God's given you, love them, build a relationship with them, and seek to transform them. God, Jesus himself had 12, and one of those didn't work out so well. Just be faithful. Number four, I want you to see that God determines the content of the message God determines the content of the message. It says in verse number 7, the latter part of it, he says, Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse 8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. I'm not going to read all of verses 10 through 17, but it would illustrate the same thing. He says, see, I've set, verse 10, this day I've set thee before the, over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Verse 17, thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. 
Culture wants a message of relevance and acceptance. Biblical truth, however, should never be compromised under the guise of either relevance or acceptance. Listen, the content of our message today is not determined or is not, let me say it differently, the content of our message today is not my ideas and it's not my opinions. The content of the message is the Word of God. What did Paul tell Timothy? Preach the Word. Well, they don't want to hear it. Preach the Word. They might not accept. Preach the Word. You would not believe the outline I've got. (laughs) You're looking at it trying to take notes, right? Preach the Word. Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I would like that to be said of me. What I've told you is what God says. Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Yet the reality is that we've all been faced with a comp- the temptation to compromise the truth to gain greater acceptance and popularity. It's interesting to me to see how society has consistently, uh, their perception of right and wrong is constantly shifting. It's amazing to me in my short lifetime what used to be wrong is now right. And it's not an improving situation. If you base your message upon society's perception of right and wrong, you will of necessity be constantly shifting in your message. has to be. Here's a really very basic, simple truth. One of those that just blows your brains because it's that intelligent. Right never becomes wrong. And wrong never becomes right. 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years, 5,000, I don't care how many thousand years, right never becomes wrong and wrong never becomes right. I cannot allow them to determine the content of my message. Jeremiah 44, a little bit later on, Jeremiah is preaching and he is warning them. And God says through Jeremiah, Howbeit I sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. But they hearken not. You know what that means? It means they listen not nor inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no other incense unto other gods. This is in Jeremiah chapter 44. A little bit later on, Jeremiah finishes his message. This was their response. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, I want you to think about this, the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Imagine greeting your people on the way out the door hearing that. All of us are so spiritual, it wouldn't even tend to put us into the flesh. Right? I must be that carnal. Shannon, I appreciate it. I, uh, I'd want to punch somebody. Are you kidding me? I just studied, I just prepared, I just did all that, and you actually just walked up and said, you know what, I'm not going to listen to you. 
This is what they actually said. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. We're going to do what we want to do. It goes on in that passage, and it actually explains that we're going to go back into the idol worship because when we were doing that, everything was going well. But since we stopped doing the idol worship, everything's happened. So we're going to go back to our own ways. Guys, let me ask you a question. Do you believe the Word of God will change someone's life? Okay, let me ask you two more questions then. Do you study it like you believe it's going to change someone's life? And do you preach it like you believe it's going to change someone else's life? If your idea of preaching the Word of God is to ignore your study all week, get up and say something that has no bearing on anything, you do not have a very high view of God's Word. We don't want to admit that because my outline is that clever. And there can be some great outlines. And I'm not, I'm not trying to diss those. Don't get me wrong. But if it is at the expense of the Word of God, it is wrong. And it is not what we've been called to do. It's God's Word that's going to change someone's life. Number five, and I'll mention this briefly, God's presence comforts and empowers us. Jeremiah, you're going to have a really hard ministry. In fact, no one's going to listen to you. Uh, people will actually try to take your life because they don't like what you've said. And actually, Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in your ministry. The temple will be completely destroyed. That, for the Jew, was life. That was the center around which their life existed and revolved far more than church for us today. Verse 17, he says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise, speak unto them all that I command thee. I want you to notice, be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people land. Listen to this, they shall fight against thee. Great but they shall not prevail against thee. Now notice how chapter 1 ends. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Hardships and opposition are inevitable. You can't avoid it. It's not like we asked for it, but it's going to come. How you choose to respond to those reveal much about your personal walk with the Lord. And at times in Jeremiah's ministry, you'll discover that he was abandoned by everybody except God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. In other words, stop wanting more. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what discontentment is? Discontentment says, God, thank you for all that you've done, but you're not enough. I need a little bit more. That's really what we're saying. I, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You don't need anything else but me. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. All we're doing is we're taking the extremes 
all of these extremes and now everything in between, nothing else is going to separate us from the love of God. You're going to have some lonely days. <laughs> Probably already have. But I want you to think about how God's presence comforts and empowers. If I look to anything other than God, I will be defeated. What does this principle do for us? This provides my motivation. This is why we do what we do. God, you've called me to this. And God, you're with me. And so, God, I'm going to press on. It provides my motivation. The ministry is challenging. <laughs> Have the right mindset of ministry. Let's identify the race that God's called for each one of us. And let's run that race. And let the other guys run their own race. But you run yours so that when you get to the end of your life, you can say as Paul did, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. I want that to be said. I would long to step onto the shores of eternity and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just run your race. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day and the opportunity.